Hey everybody, in this episode of Trek in Time, we'll be talking about how to hit a big red reset button in a very subtle way. <laughs> what it looks like when current events suck the air out of the room. That's right, we're talking about Enterprise, episode 26 of season two, The Expanse. This episode dropped on May 21st, 2003. So not only are we going to talk about the episode, we're going to talk about current events at that time. And who are we? Well, you know me, I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I write some sci-fi. I write some stuff for kids. With me is my brother, Matt, who is the guru behind Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. And between the two of us, we've got the tech, we've got the storytelling, so we've got Star Trek. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? I'm holding on. It's been a busy week, and both personally and professionally, and so I'm just trying to hold on to that bear with both hands and <laughs> I'm trusting that that bear will get tired and lay down and take a nap and I can tiptoe away. <laughs> as usual, we like to talk about your responses to our previous episodes. As you should all know by now, you can find the contact information in the podcast description, or you can on YouTube, just scroll beneath the episode video and leave a comment there. But we like to revisit some of the comments from our previous episodes. Matt, do you have some that you'd like to share with us now? Yeah, sure. There's there's one that jumped out at me from Emmanuel. It was on the episode Cogenitor. <laughs> the one where mm. Trip completely destroys things and doesn't get in any trouble. This episode is a perfect example of my problem with the show. Enterprise is told from the point of a teenager. Look how it treats the Vulcans. Basically, mom and dad never let me do anything. Why? Why would Trip be in trouble for from his point of view? And that the theme song and the lackluster writing just hampers what could be a great series. I, I wanted to highlight this one because it kind of like summarizes where I feel like you and I are, have been in the second half of season two. It's like, yes, the second half of season two has just been a slog getting through yes. all these episodes. And I thought that was a good summary of it does feel a little whiny, teenagery, just <sighs> they don't let me do yeah. anything. That does kind of hit a nail on the head for me as it sort of does make me recognize I feel a little bit like watching these episodes, how I feel when I'm checking in with my son on whether he's done his homework or not. So that kind of explains that uh, parallel for me in a way that I hadn't considered. And by now, I mean, you can probably just hear me over that noise. That, of course, is the read alert. That means that, Matt, it's time for you to read the Wikipedia description of this episode. And I think you'll be both amused and pleased with this one amused by one particular line and pleased with brevity. So take it away, Matt. The expanse is the 52nd episode of star Trek enterprise, the 26th episode of the second season and the season two finale. The episode launched a change of direction for the series, starting with a cataclysmic attack of the star Trek version on the star Trek version of earth and introducing a new alien foe, the Zindi. <laughs> this episode set the foundation for the season-spanning Zindi story arc, encompassing all of season three and the first three episodes of season four. The storyline continues in the season three opening episode, the Zindi. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, fairly brief as far as Wikipedia descriptions are concerned. Compared but, to the previous ones, yes. Yes. And can you... Can you tell me what I thought was the most amusing part of this entire description? I, I, there's a couple of sentences here that jump out at me, but which one were you looking at? The Star Trek version of Earth. 
Yes, that was that was the first one that jumped out at me. It was like, how, um, yeah, it's yeah, all the Star yeah. Trek version of Earth, <laughs> the Star Trek version of Vulcan, the Star Trek yeah. version of. <laughs> Thanks. They, I, I thought it was interesting because they're trying to very clearly point out, like, don't worry, the Zindi didn't actually attack our Earth. Yes. So it's it's trying to set up like this is fictional. Thank you, thank you, Wikipedia. Don't, don't panic, Wikipedia, you magnificent bastard! You did it again. So this episode was directed by Alan Croker. Alan Croker, of course, has directed previous episodes, including the season one finale. So apparently when it's time to wrap things up, you get Alan on the phone. Bring him in. He'll take care of that. Alan, we need a finale. (laughs) Alan, we just realized what time it is. Oh, my God. Nobody checked the calendar until just recently. Holy cow. Get Alan. As I mentioned before, the original air date of this episode was May 21st, 2003. And guest appearances include John Fleck, Vaughn Armstrong, Gary Graham, Daniel Reardon, James Horan, Bruce Wright, Dan Desmond, Josh Cruz, Dan Figlioli, L. Sidney, and Gary Bullock. And many of these are Klingons and others are Starfleet or Vulcan. And when you look at that list, this is a much longer guest list than we've seen in a while. And it makes you really recognize that previous episodes at the end of the season. Well, they were largely bottle episodes with maybe one or two guest stars. So holding your coffers close to the, you know, keeping them closed until you get to the big finale to like put a lot of uh, extras on the sets. And also right from the beginning of the episode, you can tell that they put a little extra oomph into the special effects budget. Yep. This episode, in fact, was nominated for a special visual effects award and has been recognized in different Star Trek forums as being, as far as the impact of the effect and the impact on what it's saying about the Trek universe, mm-hmm. this is an opening scene that is quite gripping. So we'll get into that more later. So on this date that this aired, May 21st, 2003, what was the world like? Well, Matt, you were finally done with R. Kelly. Thank you. You'd moved on to rocking your body with Justin Timberlake. Okay. <laughs> and I'm sure our listeners are wondering, where was Matt rocking his body? Well, he was in line to see The Matrix Reloaded. This movie Actually, opened. <laughs> yes, this movie opened with a paltry $91 million its opening weekend. A Every little penny film. of it deserved. Every penny of it deserved. And in television. On May 21st, 2003, were people super excited to be tuning in to Star Trek Enterprise? Well, 3.9 million people were. And how did that stack up against the competition? Well, my wife and kids had a two-parter, which got 9 million viewers. And I'm sure, Matt, you'll remember that episode. With, yeah, like the... Yeah. Like, it's, it's ingrained in my brain, Sean. It's like, it's like you lived the story yourself. <laughs> the Academy of Country Music Awards earned 12 million viewers. American Idol was scraping by with 30 million viewers. And in fact, American Idol on Tuesday had the highest viewership for the week with 38 million viewers. Law and Order had 9 million. And what was the WB doing now that Dawson's Creek was over? Well, Matt, they knew what you were doing last summer. That's right. They were showing I know what you did last summer. And that earned them 2 million viewers. So 1997's I Know What You Did Last Summer, a repeat airing of the movie on the WB, had more than half as many viewers as this 
first of what is arguably a two-parter yes, and a full reset for Star Trek Enterprise, effectively. And then the New York Times, this felt to me like it was apropos of this episode. It is a opinion piece from Thomas Friedman in the New York Times titled Postcard from Iraq, and it includes this passage. The best thing about this poverty, the poverty you see in Iraq after the U.S. invasion, Iraqis are so beaten down that a vast majority clearly seem ready to give the Americans a chance to make this a better place. And more important, it would take so little investment and so little basic security to improve the economy here and have an immediate impact on people's lives. The peace is still very winnable as long as we get things moving forward, which is why the Pentagon's ineptitude in post-war planning is so frustrating. We don't want to see a situation where, by the Americans not delivering on the simple things, people will long for Saddam's day, said Hushar Zabari, the Kurdish Democratic Party's foreign minister. In hindsight now, here in 2022, we can look back on these words as slightly prophetic, slightly Mm -hmm. idealistic, slightly optimistic, and slightly right on uh, target, considering what we saw over a two-decade period in the attempts to rebuild Iraq and the subsequent uh, struggles there, that the attempts at installing a American-style democracy have not worked and the ultimate poor planning by the Pentagon of how you win the peace after defeating a foe at the beginning of this piece, Thomas Friedman points out that the U.S. invasion of the Iraq was effectively the equivalent of the U.S. invading the Flintstones. The Iraqi resistance, the army effectively collapsed immediately and that what you had was a pushback by what would in the long run, we would start calling them insurrectionists. A very loosely organized ragtag pushback against the U.S. was the only resistance the U.S. actually saw. So the question became, what was the Pentagon planning on doing afterward, immediately after the U.S. invasion, when the war was effectively, with the fighting was over, looting began in yep. incredible numbers. And it spoke to the lack of planning or the lack of understanding your role the u.s going in invading a country to remove the government effectively making it a war not against the people but against saddam hussein and his his government but not taking the next step of being willing to embrace well then we're going to have to also become the police immediately after that poor planning i think in hindsight is easy for us to recognize. But I couldn't help but feeling like that mindset that led to that was effectively on full display in this episode. Yeah, the, the, the other side of the, the, the Iraq war was when 9-11 happened and we were attacked, that horrible terrorist attack on New York, we went into Afghanistan and had world sport around us to go mm-hmm. in there and, and root that out and try to basically strike back. And then we very quickly took it a step too far and started to expand the war on terrorism. And suddenly it was using that as a, as an excuse to go into Iraq and do the same thing there and just kind of keep steamrolling and turn from the victim where people were trying to help us to turning into the, the big bad and the big villain of the world, the way we handled that and things rolled out. And I agree that that's kind of, on display in this one episode, yeah. all of that, all of 
all of that all potpourri of, that. of madness is in there. Yes. So to, if we want to jump into the discussion of the episode, yeah, it, it opens think, up with, it opens up with the, yeah. the attack on Florida where a ship that we've never seen before just basically puts a death ray that just puts this massive gouge through Florida. And it's one of the things I thought was so effective about the special effects, the scale and the scope of it. It's like, yeah. we all know the space images of what Florida looks like coming down. And there's just this massive gash being just across the entire state. Yeah. And then later in the episode, when they talk about like the death count is up to 3 million. Yeah. And at that size and scope, you don't know, there's really no way to know who actually is dead. And like, it's, 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 it's horrific. So here's this 9-11 moment. And then over the course of the episode, we watch the reaction of there's support from the interstellar community. You've got the Vulcans getting behind us. Mm-hmm. You have um, the Andorians kind of sending message of, of support and all this kind of stuff. You see the rally around Earth. And the way the show ends, to jump forward to the end, is that there's a scene between Trip and the captain where hints of what we just talked about about Iraq are in that conversation of them in this ready room where it's like, oh, we're willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah. Screw the first, the, the prime directive, that whole idea. We're just going to do whatever it takes. And it's like, okay, we're going to put our morals and our ethics aside to just do whatever the hell we want. It's basically for revenge. And so it's like, there's this whole aspect of this entire episode I thought was incredibly Im- uh, impactful emotionally, mm-hmm. but also there was, um, it kind of worked against it. I don't know if you felt this way too, because yeah. there was so much of 9-11 in the entire episode that it was distracting at points. And I don't know if that's because you and I lived through it. <laughs> you mm. actually lived in New York <laughs> when this yeah. happened, but it's like, it's still very present for me. And so that just dredged up all these memories. I don't know if somebody who didn't live through that, like let's say a, a kid that was born after 2001, watching this episode i don't know if it's going to hit them in that same way and feel too referential to 9-11 or not mm-hmm. what, what do you think about that i think that you i think you may be hitting on something i think it may be comparable to in the original series when they would talk about the world war three the the Holocaust of World War III, the atomic war that took place. Those episodes would have been written by people who had been alive when Hiroshima and Nagasaki were bombed by the U.S. Mm -hmm. And so they would have been writing from the perspective of looking at historic events as a lived thing and the horror and impression of what does it mean that we have a weapon that can do this, as opposed to what you and I experienced in watching those episodes, which is Oh, they're they're taking history and they're making it even worse for the future. So it's that kind of disconnect from personal experience that in the abstract it becomes sort of a a shadow on the horizon as opposed to dredging up turmoil. And mm-hmm. I do agree. I think that this may be the equivalent for us to see this fictionalization of a 9-11 style attack may be doing something similar as what a viewer who lived through World War II may have experienced in watching the original series. They may have had similar parallels. Um, And I agree with you. There's a little bit of a disconnect. I feel like it's born of a couple of, a couple of things that were unavoidable 
given how this was put together, season two would have started production prior to the invasion of Iraq. Yep. Uh, even prior to 9-11, they had story ideas. They had you know script ideas already in the, in the hopper. By the time they would have been getting to production, um, it would have been too late to change the entirety of season two. This felt to me like clearly post 9-11, clearly post the drumbeat leading to war. This episode probably was already in production by the time the U.S. invaded Iraq. Yeah. So this may have been born of the producers and writers involved in the show looking at the whole 9-11 to a rock bridge and trying to tap into that emotional element of the world that we found ourselves in, but they had to do it on fast forward. It felt this episode to me, I think what you spoke of, of the sort of it working against its own ends was born partially of the speed with which this episode has to take place. The Enterprise is in deep space. They are recalled after the attack. They get back to Earth. We're not really given a timeline. But based on everything we know about how far they've been going, we could assume it's probably weeks have gone by Mm -hmm. before they can get back to Earth. They then make this bold statement of, let's go find the Zindi. And they know it's going to be months to get to where the Zindi are. So this one episode is taking place over arguably a four-month period. It starts with a date of April 24th, 2153. We can assume it ends at some point in August. Mm -hmm. That is a lot of time to cover, especially for an episode that is doing after the initial attack. It is a lot of people talking, which I don't mind. I didn't mind that they were doing that. But I felt like if this had been approached slightly differently, instead of it being a cliffhanger, it felt very much like they were like, we need to change the direction of the show. The show no longer kind of fits the mold of what we were trying to do, given that the world has shifted so incredibly. And it feels like they were hitting a reset button without fully, as producers and writers, digesting their own mixed and ambiguous feelings about what was going on in the world. Mm -hmm. So they hit this reset button instead of viewing this as episode one of season three and building out a longer process, showing the people on the ship dealing with overwhelming amounts of grief, fear, uncertainty, and then showing them over a month's long journey to get to the Zindi developing and processing all of those emotions in different ways. You could have had a story arc that would have been a full, you know, five or six episodes to get them to the Zindi and think of all the storytelling opportunities of a personal nature on the, on the parts of all these characters Mm -hmm. as they make that journey to the Zindi, but instead it was fast forwarded. So it felt a little bit like trip in the episode. Trip is arguing with Reed at one point. My my sister's dead. Can't you just let it go? Yeah, that scene and, confused me because it was like, where yeah. the hell is that coming from? We haven't yeah. seen anything around that to explain yeah. why he would 
snap at him like that. And the entire episode felt like to me like that. Okay, Earth's been attacked. We have a new storyline in mind. Let's just get past all of the, let's yada, 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 the initial post-attack response. And let's just get the Enterprise into a place where they, we can start this new action. And it also, at the same time, and I was very confused as to the writers and producers thinking around this, the Klingon storyline in this feels yeah. extremely tacked on and Unnecessary. it feels like they are trying to tie up what they think are loose threads that the audience will care about. And yes. I found myself watching this and thinking, why do they think that anybody remembers any of this? This is They're totally just- extraneous. There's two reasons why I think they were in there. One was I think they thought there were loose ends that they had to tie up because it wasn't a typical finale. And I think they felt like they had to tie some things up. They were using that as an excuse. But the second reason I think they did it was is that Duras turned into a um, shortcut to accelerate them getting into the expanse and a way for them to get to Paul on the ship going into the expanse and not going back to Vulcan. So it's like, right. I think they used that as an excuse to do that. I don't think it was necessary. They could have found other ways to do that. But to me, it felt like they were like, well, we can't just like end it because there's all these questions about the Klingons and Archer. Well, we have to answer those. Well, we could also use him to get them to go into the expanse faster than they were planning to. Well, okay. Yeah. It, it, I disagree. Kind of, I actually disagree with your assessment that the Klingons were an excuse to get to Paul to stay on the ship. Because ultimately, the way that they are used is so outside of that decision. It is literally lip service that Archer gives at that point. So I think that they, if you'd remove the Klingons entirely and just had them on their way to Vulcan and T'Pol makes her impassioned speech of, you need me, Archer could have walked out of his ready room and just said, I've changed my mind. We're not going to Vulcan. We're going straight to the, we're going to the expanse. That's all it would have taken. There's, there's really nothing about the, the, the Klingon chase that does play a role in that. But, but no, what I'm saying is they used it as Archer's excuse to Starfleet and to the Vulcans of he's basically giving Starfleet, um, helping them cover their ass of like, mm-hmm. you can basically tell them we're getting the hell out of Dodge because the Klingons forced us to jump. And we couldn't make it to you safely. It's like mm-hmm. they were using it as cover. And so it's like, I think that was part of the, the diplomacy of what they were trying to cover. And that's what the Klingons meant. They were going to go to the expanse, but to Paul, no matter what, it was clear from the episode that that was going to happen. It was just an excuse for them to, to use and explaining with the Vulcans why they did this. It was not necessary. The other thing that the Klingons were there for is their upgraded photon torpedoes, the Enterprise's photon torpedoes. All along, we've seen how the Klingons are just, you know, smacking Starfleet around. Yeah. Yeah. Smacking them around. And it was a chance for us to see the Enterprise suddenly have the, the leg up of like, oh, no, the Enterprise now has a real fighting shot here. They're going to be more prepared for what's out in the expanse. It's, it's a chance to show that we've kind of upgraded and going out. So it's like, I understand that there were probably boxes that the writers were trying to tick of. We have to show that we've kind of stepped up our game. Okay, we can use the Klingons for that. Oh, we have to give them cover for Starfleet and the Vulcans. Okay, we can do, use the Klingons for that. I, can, I see it as a, just a series of checkboxes that they were using just to quickly run down yeah. as, as, as shorthand so they can get through that stuff fast. 
But like you said, it's like you technically didn't need that. You could have just yeah. kind of it's a yada 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 and it felt and it felt very right. checkboxy it felt very perfunctory of getting these things ticked off and unfortunately for within the episode it even creates a dynamic where sometimes the logic of what the characters are doing is completely lacking like they are attacked by duras within i mean they're literally looking at their own son they're looking at yep. our son and duras attacks them there mm -hmm. like what did duras think was going to happen other earth ships arrive within 30 seconds and fight them off and duras flees we then have a weeks long retrofit to the enterprise they give them the new photon torpedoes they give them improved plating they do all this stuff to make the enterprise a more upgraded version so it's ready to go on this long mission and as soon as they leave, Duras attacks them again, immediately, right there. Like he's just been sitting on it's Saturn I'm watching not them. It. And I'm, I'm not just like, it. I'm like, what is the, like, what are they saying about how any of these characters think? They have Duras, first of all, attacking an Earth ship within Stone's Throw of Earth. And then... There's That's been an no act of war. <laughs> there's a, there's an act of war. They've literally been attacked by the Zindi and are now planning like, holy cow, we got to go out and find these people and really kick some ass. Meanwhile, the Klingons have just fired on their flagship and apparently there's zero follow up. And when they go back out into space, the Klingons are literally like the bully on the block standing just outside the family's fence and going like, all right, punk, I'm ready for you. <laughs> and they yep. attack again. And then this next step was where I was just like, now the logic doesn't make sense for Archer. Archer successfully fends them off with his new weapons. He's got this new plating. He's got these new weapons. And his entire approach is, well, we just want to stop the attack. Like at this point, wouldn't the heightened emotions of everybody involved, including Archer, wouldn't Archer have just told Reed, give me a couple of torpedoes full yield, put them right in their face and we'll just blow the ship up. We are completely within our rights to defend ourselves in that way. We're just going to blow this Klingon bird of prey out of the sky. Mm -hmm. It made zero sense that it was this like, we'll knock out their engines and then we'll try to get away try to get away they've literally just attacked you on your own doorstep and you think that you are going to quote get away it like the the storytelling around the klingon interactions in this episode were completely unnecessary as far as i was concerned and but they were distracted though, from other stuff yes but thankfully they were also the uh, the smallest part of the show because one of the things i do want to say as a whole i actually really like this episode i and I hope it's not me looking back at this episode with rose colored glasses because I do like a lot of what they do in season three. Mm -hmm. And so like, I like the way they set this up, but I forgot how powerful some of the scenes were, uh, where trip and was it Reed were on visiting Florida. Yeah. And there was the, it was clearly old CG of like two CG guys pointing around like, and that's where my sister used to do this. This is where I used mm -hmm. to do that. That scene was super powerful of just like, that's where they talked about there's 3 million people. Are you sure your sister was here? Well, if she wasn't, we would have heard about it. Yeah. You know, we would have heard from her. So it's kind of like, it just kind of drove home of how many people are going through that of like yeah. not knowing that their families, not knowing 
if they survived or not and who's dead and who's not and the, the scope of it is just incredible and the visual effects are good enough to deliver even today even though they look <laughs> antiquated yeah. they still are very good enough to get the feeling across and deliver it well so it's like I, I, the conversation between flocks and to paul where they're talking about how the humans are preparing to go and flock says we're the only two aliens on board this ship and it's interesting how our allegiances are at play here like yeah. are we allegiance to our species are we allegiance to the humans because we've served with them for so long like where do our things belong and to paul is basically saying why are you going with them and he's like yeah. how can i he's basically saying how could i not it's like they're my friends they need our help i have to go and they're to paul wrestling with what she wants to do there was all these nice it's what i love about star trek these nice ethical moral struggles that characters are dealing with and just looking at things from all the different angles and there were so many of those conversations through this episode that i really appreciated it and yeah. it kind of it kind of hit home for some of the scenes i i completely agree with you and i do overall i like this episode i feel like it's a a a main story which i would give a solid a minus to the overall yeah. story for the yeah. for the B storyline, I'd give it a C minus. So it's yeah. like, yeah, and I do agree that the Klingon stuff is not fifty percent of the story. This is not like a majority of the episode is not centered around the Klingons. It just became a distraction. It's a little bit yeah. like if it would it would have felt no different to me if this episode had a comedic B plot. Like it wouldn't it have fit. It was it, a comedic B plot. Yeah. He was just such a bumbling idiot. It was kind of like you had to laugh at him. It's just like, yeah. what, are you, what are you doing, dude? You're about to get your ass kicked. And he, well, you got your ass kicked. <laughs> right. You feel like, you know, Simpsons, ha ha, pointing at yeah. <laughs> They're flying away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree, though. The, the writing around the uh, emotional moments between the characters, on the whole, was well, both well-written and well-earned. They put things in place to earn later moments, especially with T'Pol. To Paul's development in this episode, she does more of a of a pivot in this episode than she probably did in the entirety of the rest of the season. The rest of the mm -hmm. season has revolved around her having sort of a drip, drip, drip growth of understanding of her relationship and role with Archer. It's this one that she's all of that is put to the test, and all of that comes to a point where she is. I had never considered this role and this relationship outside mm -hmm. of status quo being allowed to continue. The moment the status quo is thrown in the air, she then has that moment. My favorite moment for her in this episode is where he is giving her all the reasons as to why she should probably be happy to leave. You'll finally mm -hmm. get some Vulcan food that's actually authentically Vulcan. Well, Chef has done a pretty good job of figuring out how to cook stuff that's palatable to me. Well, you'll finally get away from our smell. You never really did like that. Well, I've gotten used to it. Well, are all of our emotions. Well, I've gotten used to those too. I thought that her delivery, because mm -hmm. she's Vulcan and it's all relied on, like she is just giving matter of fact answers, but the subtext there and, and Blaylock does a wonderful job, I think, with providing through her eyes, an emotional subtext to everything that's being said. She is desperate in that moment to say to him, I don't want to go. Yes. I don't want to go. I don't want to leave you. I feel conflicted about leaving you. I have this allegiance that I need to conduct if I'm going to remain 
with the Vulcan hierarchy. And it finally reaches the point where she says flat out, I am going to resign my commission. And that entire scene, I thought like that was beautiful. The one place where I think they made the missteps was with Trip, who he needs to be angry. I get that. But the scene between him and Reed felt a little too abrupt, a little yep. too turning it to 11. I think it would yeah. have been perhaps the same kind of scene, but dial him back to maybe a seven. If he had turned on Reed and said, look, I know you're trying to help me, but I'm doing everything I need right now by getting this ship ready to go and kick some ass. That would have felt, I think, more of a through line if with what where he's going to end up at the end of the episode than what he did, which came across as well, such disconnected anger. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that scene. That, that scene is I actually like what they did with Trip over the entire episode. Yeah. It's just that one scene they screwed up. And yeah. also the fact that he attacked Reed. Why are you so obsessed with blah, 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 blah. He like yeah. blamed yeah. him. It would have been so much easier for him to say, listen, I'm sick of people asking me how I'm doing. I'm sick right. of people tiptoeing around me. I want to fix this ship and get out there and kick some ass. It's like, like what you're saying. They could have just reframed it just a little bit and it would have felt more cohesive for him through the episode. Yeah. If you take that scene out, I still think they did a good job with him because in the beginning, yeah. it's clear he's distraught. Like after the opening credits, when they get back to Earth and they're looking at the devastation, you see Florida and you see this faint gash going up Florida. Everybody in the camera slowly passes, pans across the bridge crew. Everybody is looking at horror at the screen and he's looking down. He's, looking he's the down, only yeah. person not looking at the screen. So it's like it goes from him, like the, the stages of grief where it's like he's yeah. kind of like in shock and awe and like going through denial. And then later in the episode, he's becoming you can tell he's shutting down and he's not dealing with it appropriately. Yeah. And then by the end, it's just full on anger and revenge and he's going out for blood. And so it's yeah. like that last conversation between him and the captain where he basically says, promise me we're going to do whatever it takes. It was incredible. I thought it was a yeah. great scene. I agree. I agree. The ending in particular is the drumbeat to war that yeah. it and th that takes us back to like this is for me the first time. We've talked in previous episodes. Did this episode feel like Star Trek or not? I don't mm -hmm. know whether this episode felt like Star Trek, but it certainly felt like 2003. This, if you were to say, can you show me something that demonstrates the mindset of the United States at this point in time? Why were mm -hmm. you going into Iraq? What was the mindset? What was going on? This episode does a remarkable job of bottling that anger and that distress, that distress and the strain of the grief. There was so much grief and there wasn't enough place to put it. And yeah. it ended up turning in festering into this kind of mentality. Well, if people think they can hurt us, they don't know what hurt is. And yeah. I think it's on full display in this episode. So it's a mixed, it's a mixed, um, bag as far as like the the impact of the writing but I think overall for everything that we are trying to do with this podcast I think this is the first time that I'm like wow Enterprise is really speaking about its time yeah it's Whether, very in the moment yeah very in the moment and I think some of it is by design I think there was a certain amount of this that was clearly the writers and producers saying we need to talk about what our world is like now 
And then there's well, a certain of, amount think, of it that is also Trek. unintentional. Think about Star Trek. Star Trek is the utopian ideal of what humanity can become. It's this idealistic view of the future. And at the time the show starts to air, we have 9-11 happen. And it's like, okay, nothing is safe. The world's upside down. Everybody's afraid. And it's the polar opposite of what Star Trek's trying to portray. So it's like yes. there's a complete disconnect. There's a just it's we're not in the same wavelength between Star Trek and what's happening in the world. So this is them trying to get back in alignment with where everybody's mind is. Yes. Which is part of the reason why I think it for me, when I remember watching the show when it was first aired, it was like this was the season where I felt like the show found its footing. Yeah. Probably because that's where my mindset was in the yes. in the moment. And it felt more in line with where I was, where you were, where all my friends were. So it's like it felt a little more in tune with the audience at, at that time. Yeah. And I think that, like I said, some of it is clearly intentional. Some of it's unintentional. And yeah. whether intentional or not, I think it is quite a dramatic statement to have the giant reset button hit in the way that this episode hits it for this show. And where are they going? They're literally flying through a cloud that they can't see. They cannot see what's ahead of them. They are emerging on the far side of an unknown. And whether somebody was thinking in those terms of like, oh, it's a brilliant metaphor for where we are as a country and what's going on <laughs> in the world, or whether it yeah. was just an accidental design of like, well, they need to go someplace where they can't really understand what's going on. So how do we do that? Either way. That closing shot of this episode speaks volumes as the Enterprise slowly reemerges into stars as they're in a place they're on their own and they're going into a extremely bold new place for this series. And the, the reset button has been hit. Yeah, it didn't feel like an accident to me. It felt deliberate. So listeners, let us know. Do you think that all of the things that we've talked about in this episode, the very clear reset button and the intentional and unintentional. Do you agree with what we've seen as far as the intent and the accident? Or do you think that there were some places that we've missed the point? Let us know. You can go to the comments just below this video, or you can find the contact information in the podcast description and you can send us a message that way. Next time, as has been forecast by the synopsis and our discussion, we're going to be talking about, here we are, Matt. Can you believe it? Season three. <laughs> it's finally here. We, we made it. We made it. We Sean. made it. We made it. Talk <laughs> about going through a cloud. <laughs> we're going to be talking about season three, episode one, which is the Zindi. And Matt, I would normally ask you if you can forecast what we're going to be talking about, but I think we you don't know we're going to be talking about the Zindi. That's right. Before we go, Matt, is there anything you'd like to remind our listeners about that you have coming up on your other channel? Uh, just to stay tuned, I have some interesting videos coming up on uh, a new battery that might change a lot of things. Um, it's a really cool piece of technology. Mm. So stay tuned for that episode. Is it edible? I wish. No. Oh. If you like eating yeah. sulfur, maybe. But <laughs> Good news for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As for me, please check out my website, seanfarrell.com. You can also just go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore and ask for my books there. They are available everywhere the books are sold. And if you'd like to support the show, please do consider reviewing us. You can review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Podcast Podcast, Podcasts. 
And if you'd like to directly support us, you can go to trekintime.show and click on the Become a Supporter button. And don't forget, if you do become a direct supporter through trekintime.show, you will be automatically subscribed to our second series, which is Out of Time, in which we are talking about, well, whatever we want to. We'll talk about some of the new Star Trek series. We'll talk about movies, TV shows, comics, whatever happens to cross our field of view. And it won't be tied in directly with this series, which is taking a look at things in the context of original broadcast. But for people who are interested in getting a taste of what Out of Time is like, we will have an episode coming up in this feed for free for everybody so you can get an idea of what it is that we're doing over there. And in that episode, we're going to be talking about the new Star Trek series, Strange New Worlds. So I hope you all enjoy checking that out when it drops. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for commenting, reviewing, sharing with your friends. Thank you so much if you're a direct supporter. All of that really does help support the show. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you next time. Directly support us. You can go to trekintime.show. There's a become a supporter of the button. Let me say that again. If you'd like to support (laughs) us directly, you can go to trekintime.show and click on the become a supporter button. Yeah, I really, I really rode that one down, down a weird avenue. A, a, the, a the got thrown in the wrong place and it completely derailed how my brain wow. works. <laughs> And don't forget, if you do become a supporter through, (laughs) I'm trying to get to the out of time pitch. I know. Okay. Hoo hoo.